Hi, Mr. Rabbi. How are you? I'm good. I am super, Father Anderson. How are you on this I'm, great and amazing morning? Well, well, I miss you. So I miss seeing you like in, in, in person. So I, I get I get the podcast you um, and, I, and I get a phone conversation you during the week. But I don't get like, let's go to lunch and grab a hamburger you. We, we haven't yeah. done that in a long time. Yeah. That used to be a tradition of ours. Yeah, every week. Yeah, we, we go to your favorite place, that Italian joint in downtown Stewart, and, and you you get some pasta, and I usually grab a burger. And um, um, now I would probably get a salad since my metabolism has definitely decreased since having a baby. I don't well, know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure in 2021 we'll be able to, to have lunch together. Well, who, who are we kidding? We live in Stewart. We could have done this all along. So um, <laughs> there's, there's never been a fear of going out and grabbing a burger. It's a matter of you comfortable doing it so um all right um so today we got on um i'm very excited about this guest uh bishop greg brewer which people around the country uh will see hey i recognize that name um who has has uh has a platform on twitter and recently spoke out about some of the incidents that have been happening uh particularly towards um uh, racial justice, which is not the first time he's done this. He's 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 been he's been bold and been on the front lines when there's been issues of racial injustices. Um, and uh, but recently he spoke out against um, in, on July first when um, I mean June first when the president around that time went in front of the Episcopal Church in D.C. and lifted up the Bible and some people had a visceral reaction to it. And Bishop Brewer gave one that was. Um, from his from his point of view, was really grounded in the scripture and tradition of why he didn't feel comfortable with it. So, we're going to bring him on and say, like, what is it like as a leader and as a person when you speak against or for something and you know it's a it's a it's a truth that's not going to be well received by everyone? How do you deal with the, the cost that comes from that? Because, mm. you know, you know that Rabbi, if you get up at your pulpit yeah. and you say something and you're definitely taking a viewpoint, you're not trying to just go down the middle road. So you're just the nice guy, but you you take a viewpoint you then have to deal with the fallout. You, know, uh -huh. right? you have to deal with all the conversations. You know that's coming and you have to kind of ask yourself, is it worth it, right? Is it worth it? So that's, that's what we're gonna be talking about today, the cost of speaking the truth. So, uh, and the good news is Bishop Brewer is right here. Bishop Brewer, is that you? Are you, are you right here at the podcast door? I am right here, waiting <laughs> and looking forward to it. <laughs> well, let's let's jump into this. The cost of telling the truth, and we are honored that you're here. And um, as as a fellow neighbor here, as we serve the state of Florida, uh, the rabbi, myself, and you, uh, we'll get into this. And, and what is it like to take on these these hot topics and the cost that comes from it? So, um, let's buckle our seatbelts to get ready for another episode of a priest and a rabbi. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Chaim. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788, 220-WSTU. Now, here's your host. Well, good morning, everybody, here in sunny Stewart, Florida. It is Father Christian Anderson over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. And right next to me on this digital landscape we're on right now 
is the best-looking and best-sounding rabbi you have heard this side of the Jordan River since Jesus. How are you, brother? What's going on? I am doing really well. How are you? I am well, my friend. I'm doing well. You sound better. Um, I, you know, I know you were you were you were dealing with COVID twelve. Um, yeah. Uh, it wasn't nineteen, but it was like twelve, and uh, you 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 you've healed, and you're here, and you're ready to roll. Yeah, ready to go. Ready to go. You know, we, you know, there's this with all the um, every week we kind of take on. We don't really take on soft topics here. We try to take on some some pretty rich topics. And, you know, we, we as uh, servant leaders of our congregations always have to do this juggle of like, how do you deal with these weighty topics without alienating half your people or two thirds of your people, right? I mean, that's uh, it's kind of a topic we want to take on today of how, how do you deal with, you know, there's a truth that needs to be spoken, but you know that people kind of interpret it or kind of touchy about it. And I don't know, have you, have you, have you approached this, uh, this, this challenge, this difficulty? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, it's always an interesting way because I think I think sometimes when um, as as faith leaders that we speak out or we speak about uh, whatever injustices or uh, social issues are out there, for those who may take offense to it, there's a part of me that says, um, "Good," because I think if 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 you're reacting in such a way, it's resonated with you, and there's something very deep within the recesses of our core that have made us have that reaction. And I think, I think dialogue, I think talking through uh, what, what those, what those challenges are, hopefully can lead to, um, you know, to either some reconciliation or at least a greater awareness. Well, just here, I think not only here in Florida, but throughout the country, hot topics to talk about right now or anything dealing with COVID-19 and mask wearing and Mm -hmm. the truth of the facts. And then, um, and then also, obviously, the different uh, understandings of how we approach racial justice. Have you yourself had to deal with any difficult conversations thus far where it's like, yes, we need a dialogue right now. We're, we're an obsidence here. No, I mean, I think I think within my community, I think my, my, my congregation is very, um, very attuned to what's going on. I think uh, there are many in our in our community that want to see change. Um, um, I, I, I think as faith leaders, it's we want to see change, but how do we how do we how do we involve that change, and how do we make it happen? Um, I think has always been um, a, you know a, a challenge in some way. And if I do speak out, um, you know what are the risks involved? And 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 I hate to say the reward, but I think that there are um, there are things that go on throughout our world that I think as clergy uh, we just cannot stand idly by. That we have to take a stand. That we have to um, uh, present. Uh, our, our thoughts and our opinions to try and make the world a more harmonious and a better place. And sometimes those, those, those discussions and, 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 and those, um, uh, those social issues are, 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 are very difficult and very challenging. Sometimes for some, they don't want to engage in those type of conversations. Right. right. And I think, I think, I think the challenge today is, is, is twofold is the conversation itself, but I think it's also about one's willingness to listen. And I think that we've lost the art, of listening, we've lost the art of um, civility, uh, and 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 being able to try and bring that back with 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 real real issues that are affecting not just us locally, but uh, uh, you know across the country and um, certainly internationally as well. 
Well, it, you know, very well said. And and one person who is a, a colleague of ours who's who's doing just that um, and who's been known for doing just that it hasn't just been because of uh, the recent tensions in our country. Um, but, uh, you know, Bishop Greg Brewer is uh, the bishop. So in, in the Episcopal Church, I'm a priest. And then I work for a person named Todd Cedarberg. He's like my boss. He's the head priest. But then above us is a person who looks over the whole diocese. So a collection of Episcopal churches in a certain region is the bishop. So the diocese that's north of us uh, in Central Florida is, uh, is, 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 is overseen and shepherded by Bishop Greg Brewer. And he is here with us. And, and Bishop Greg Brewer is uh, actually his name's been popping up a lot in, in uh, national trends because um, when the president of the United States went out and um, took the, the photo opportunity uh, in front of an Episcopal church in D.C. Uh, during the protests, um, the bishop uh, took um, had, had definitely had, had an opinion about that, of how it was from a biblical perspective and um, and, and talked about that in his tweet it actually went viral. So uh, that's not just the only thing he's talked about. He talked about a lot of things throughout his whole uh, his service to his church. Uh, and um, we're very, we're honored and excited to have him on the show. So Bishop Greg Brewer, uh, thank you so much, uh, my friend, for clearing this space and making the time to come on uh, A Priest and a Rabbi this morning. Thank you. It's an honor to be asked. And Thanks, too, for calling me a colleague, Christian. Uh, I am grateful for the moniker and rabbi as well. Happy to take it on and be a part of the show today. Well, I, I you know, I was looking through your blog, um, which uh, uh, and, and I know that or actually I think it was on the, the National Church's site. It talks about it introduces you. And one thing that you say in that uh, it says that you're you're very curious. You're a very curious person. And that's true uh, of the, the little I've gotten to know you over the years um, and then seeing how you've interacted with uh, everything that's gone on in our country just over the last eight years, the six years, you've been extremely curious. Like you want to know more. Uh, you want to know more about how does this affect different ethnicities, different people of, of color, different people of age groups, different, um, you know, you like to really be a man of the people. So, so tell us, uh, you know, I would love to dip into your ministry and see how you got to this point, but I know we only have so much time. I think we just go right for it and, mm -hmm. and, and just get right to the, to, to the heart of the, of the matter is I think a lot of people learned about you over uh, these last weeks because of a tweet <laughs> that, that you sent. Um, and I'm sure there's been a lot of things throughout your career, your vocation that people have gotten to know you for, but I don't know if you ever thought that a single tweet that you sent would be written up in People Magazine and quoted in papers and on other news media outlets. It would, did, you, did you think this would be the one thing that would really get your uh, name flown out there and people talking about you and at you and through you and to you? Oh, honestly, I had no idea. I mean, absolutely none. Uh, my, my sort of Twitter feed back and forth is way lower yeah. than how this thing just took off and had a life of its own. And yeah, I started getting phone calls from other media outlets. I was interviewed a couple of times. You know, it's uh, it basically took several days out of my life that I wasn't expecting to lose. Uh, but at the same time, uh, not dissimilar to the comment that the rabbi made, I'm really glad for the conversations that it sparked uh, among people from actually different faith traditions as we wrestled with the issue of, you know, what are, in essence, the boundaries 
or the appropriate use of religious symbols by political authorities? Because that's what emerged in terms of the conversation. Yes. So the tweet that we're referencing, and I'm sorry to, you know, Bishop, you've probably heard this a, a million times in every interview you've done, but just for our listeners who are not familiar with it, um, is, is so Bishop, you sent out a tweet on June 1st. So this is early on. And said, as a bishop in the Episcopal Church and an American citizen, I am shaken watching protesters in Lafayette Park gassed and cleared so that the president of the United States can do a photo op in front of St. John's Episcopal Church holding a Bible. Uh, this is blasphemy in real time. And, uh, and, and so and I'm, I'm assuming, Bishop Brewer, when, when was this more of a, of a, of a message that you, that you thought about for a while and you, you, one of those things where you're going to delete, to delete and write, write a new word and go back and back and edit it? Or was it like you felt with your heart, you just, boom, put that message down and send it out? It was visceral and immediate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually did not think it through. Uh, and I just felt like, given what had happened, and given how fast the news cycle is, and given how actually adept that the president is at trying to redefine the national conversation to help us not think about the things that he doesn't want us to think about, I really felt like it was important to speak up and to speak up quickly. That's right. It's 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 true. Things move so quickly now that to sit on something, you're kind of behind. Now people are on to the next thing. Um, and so once you sent that out, and and let's just say too that this was not. I never interpret this as a partisan uh, tweet. You have never really, it, with all of your social media stuff, I've never seen you be anything political. Um, and I took this as a as a fellow Christian of you being just ground. Since you use the word blasphemy, this is more a, a matter of faith. And a matter of uh, um, how do we be true to the gospel and how we, we treat things like the Bible and the church. Um, what was the main issue for, it sounds like there's two issues, how the protesters retreated and then the photo op itself, right? Were those the two main issues that got you going? Well, they, were, they really were all of a piece. In other words, despite efforts on the part of some people in the media to characterize the protests, in Lafayette Square as violent. That was not the case. There's no evidence that that in fact was the case. And so when the police were there and they immediately started clearing it with uh, gas, rubber bullets, pellets and the like. uh, In fact, it was kind of funny because even the, the most ardent Trump supporters who liked what he did, uh, did not get at my uh, critique in terms of calling it blasphemy. They wanted to say that I didn't know what was really going on because they actually didn't use tear gas or that they really weren't rubber bullets and things like that, which, I mean, it's all red herrings because it ignores the central point of what it was that I was trying to say. So I was grieved because we hallow the right to protest in this country. It's deeply important to us as citizens and, and so I didn't like that. I thought that was dead wrong. But when that was used to clear the way for the president to literally walk in front of St. John's Episcopal Church and hold up a Bible, I really felt like both the symbolic nature of that building as well as the import and the symbolic nature of that book were violated, uh, misused, misappropriated to somehow say, I believe this stuff. I stand by 
this church and I believe what this Bible says. And I see almost no evidence to indicate that that was true at all. In other words, that's why I think it was a misappropriation. And that's what, that's what took me to using the word blasphemy, which I almost never use. Mm-hmm. I mean, in almost any occasion. Um, and, and I think it's, it's for our listeners to know too, is that, uh, and these are not your words, but just what you, Bishop Brewer, are, are someone where a lot of bishops, some people would say in the Episcopal Church, lean more on the more progressive side. And I would say, Bishop Brewer, you, you if, if, if anything, you're, you're a centrist, if not more on the conservative side um, as your approach to, say, theology. And, and you probably hate having these labels put on you. I'm sure you probably say, hey, man, I'm just a gospel guy. And that's, that's who I am. But I think it's good for people to know that because so they don't just say, oh, he's just being this liberal Episcopal bishop, um, where really you've kind of some of the, some of the stances you've taken throughout your vocation have kind of gone against some of the trends um, and the grain of the uh, uh, so a lot of your colleagues in the Episcopal churches. Is that a correct way to sort of uh, sum that up? Well, a- as you know, liberal, conservative, and moderate are sort of defined by the beholder, as opposed to them having a particularly even the term progressive sure. um, can have. Uh, connotations that may reflect one thing for one group and one thing for another. I, I would say probably as it relates to this, to say, yeah, uh, my reputation is that I'm more moderate uh, than anything else. But I guess what to step back from that, what I would say is that what I try to do, and try really is the right word, I try to look at what's going on and say, okay, from the perspective of the scripture, what does the scripture have to say about that? The sacred texts that we as Christians and as it relates to the Hebrew scriptures as well hold dear. And so, because I feel like that's my, um, that's my heritage. It's my responsibility, particularly as a bishop, to try to talk about these things in the light of what we believe has been revealed within the pages of this sacred text. Um, and so that for me is informs what it is that I try to do. I, not that I always do it particularly well, but, but that's, that's my effort. So that all of the things that I try to say in public come out of a kind of inner conversation that I have an ongoing inner conversation with the scriptures themselves, studying it, reading it, learning it, uh, as well as talking to other colleagues and even looking at previous generations to say, how did they deal with the issues of the scripture? Because a part of the trap is to allow, in essence, apply the lenses that we have, the, the contemporary lenses in a way that might exclude insights that people previous uh, to us would have saw, seen very much, you know, much more clearly. We tend to look back, many of us at previous generations, and see how they don't measure up to our 21st century understandings. And I think that's in and of itself an incomplete critique. It's not wrong in some cases, but I think they have some things to say back to us. And so that all of those are the process that I use to try to think about what it is that I say, including in occasions like this. I, I want to be formed as it were uh, by what the scripture says as far as is possible. And that's what I, why I was so deeply shaken was the word I used in the tweet to see Trump hold up a Bible of all things and in front of a church that has 
really seen as its heritage a place of prayer for people regardless of political affiliation. Presidents for over 100 years have been there to church. That didn't mean that they would necessarily believe, didn't even necessarily mean they bought the things that were said within the context of that church, but they saw that as a welcoming place of prayer. And so in my sense, Trump violated both of those things. So once the tweet was sent, how quickly did the responses come? Oh, immediately. Um, I mean, as you know, if you post something on Twitter, it's a, I mean, people are reading it from, you know, all over the world. And so the responses came quickly, very, very quickly, uh, both applause, derision, um, or the kind of neutral sort of like, you know, that you get on a tweet. And, and it just started, in essence, getting a life of its own. There's still comments and responses to the, that tweet, you know, now over a month later. And in the Twitter world, that's all but unheard of. Yeah, I'm looking at the tweet right now, and it has over 193,000 um, like hearts, likes, 62,000 retweets and then 2.7 thousand comments. And then there's a lot of subtweeting and, and internally people commenting or commenting and there's different arguments going on in there. Um, and so I'm, I'm assuming that nothing you've ever put on Twitter before has had this kind of rallied or riled up this many people before. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> was, there, was, there, was there any 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 pushback? I mean, any negative comments in terms of you know, position or or the fact that you're almost bleeding in religion and politics, even though uh, clearly, as you mentioned, and certainly as, as, as we're aware, I mean, you know, this really isn't a political issue. It was made politicized, but it really doesn't need to be. Oh, absolutely. And um, because you see, we've particularly in the United States, we've been trained. We've been trained by television primarily, but not limited to television, to view almost any commentary around our life together as a statement of some sort of political affiliation. Mm. That is, so I'm defining myself over and against the political beliefs of somebody else. And therefore that becomes the way we respond. I mean, I really think it's been a longstanding level of behavior modification that has happened so that because that's how most of the political commentary, particularly on television, comes about, they choose to look at many of those things as some sort of political um, statement of support or opposition. And if you imbibe that, uh, and that's where you get your, in essence, training and how you think, even people who got really decent liberal arts education where you were trained to agree and disagree and look behind it and all of the things that are really a part of uh, the reasoned heritage of a liberal arts education. It's been for many people completely thrown out the window. And so they would automatically assume, oh, you're against Trump. You must be a Democrat. You're just another liberal Bishop Episcopalian treading in areas that he doesn't know anything about. And that was immediate. Wow. So when you, as a leader, and I'm sure you've dealt with 
criticisms, uh, attacks to your own virtue, attacks to your own leadership abilities, attacks to your own approach to, let's say, something that's not supposed to be part of your department. You know, stick to stick to religion, uh, Bishop. Let's not get into politics, right? right? Uh, how have, let's start this, you know, because this is where that we really want to get into the meat of the show, because I think a lot of people who are in leadership positions now are dealing with these weighty topics that even if you're running a grocery store, uh, there's these topics are on the on the tip of our tongue, and it might be good to like, how do we as a community, as as a bunch of workers, do we talk about these things, and how, how do we figure it out? And but I think the, the question too is, how do we engage in a conversation today, as opposed to just raising the issue? How do we go about it in a way that others are not deaf to what we're saying or what we're speaking? You know, that's. Here's how I think about that. And I think your, the, your point is right on target. If I am already in relationships where I am trusted, where I am understood to be someone of integrity, and I'm in relationships with other people with whom, and I have that same view of them, it's all of that background, backstory, as, as it said, that allows us, not just me, to enter into a conversation about things like this that actually matter. In other words, it seems to me if I'm going to speak with any integrity, I have to have in my life people who trust me, engage me, aren't afraid to disagree, uh, are curious uh, as I am to wonder what's what fed into the statements that I'm making because almost all of us speak out of a very long history. And so, all of those things shape us in a way that allow us to speak when it times when the time comes to step up to the microphone, whether that's on Twitter or whether it's in a policy statement for a business or whether it's trying to think about how, uh, for example, as a business leader, how do I respond and think about policies around race in my company in the light of what's happening right now? Um, because those are the kinds of conversations and the depth, the depth of which ought to be happening. And, and therefore, the people, it seems to me, who are making the most positive difference are those who approach their responsibility to speak publicly with that kind of inner integrity. They've cultivated a life and a series of relationships that has challenged them and allowed them to be thoughtful. Um, and because if I don't have that, all I'm doing, even if I don't realize it, is parroting the, the commentary I last heard and liked. Um, so I may or may not be at any moment be quoting uh, anybody from Anderson Cooper to Rush Limbaugh to you name the person. Um, and it somehow makes me feel good when I hear it. So I turn around and say it. It's not thought through. I don't understand why that makes me feel good um, as opposed to something somebody else says that makes me feel bad. It's very superficial. And, and you know, you don't get anywhere with stuff like that. It doesn't change anything. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for thoughtful people with whom I can engage both because I want to enter into those kinds of conversations, but those are the kinds of conversations that shape me. 
that allow me hopefully to speak even more responsibly, even more responsibly in the future than I am actually right now. I think that's what it means to be a learned person. But because we devalue education, Uh, and it's all about, because that's what I feel, that's why, um, it really invites us to, in essence, become very, very gullible. And I think that's the state of a lot of our public conversation. It's one gullible person talking to another gullible person who's only parroting the last thing she or he heard. (laughs) That's good. Let's hold on to that nugget right there. we're on the we're on the phone right now with Bishop Greg Brewer uh, here at the radio station WSTU Radio, uh, and the phone number here is seven seven two 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 zero nine seven eight eight two two zero nine seven eight eight. If you have a uh, any questions at all for Bishop Greg Brewer, and and as we take a break, I want we all all of us to think about this idea of has has our media platforms or even our our social media platforms sort of like evolved into this idea where it is just one gullible person sharing content with another gullible person and then sending it out and and then really just incites incites the population as opposed to really foster a um, a a deep and thoughtful uh, dialogue for us to really be informed by one another and grow and be challenged by one another so uh, we were going to take a quick break to hear from the people who make this show possible when we come back we'll continue on with Bishop Greg Brewer here at a brief You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review. Five star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you 
during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. I am Father Christian Anderson over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church, along with the rabbi, the one and only true rabbi in these parts. Uh, it's, it's, it's Rabbi Matthew Derber from Temple Beth Hayam. And with us uh, is, is our colleague, a fellow servant of God, uh, and that is Bishop Greg Brewer, who is the Bishop of Central Florida for the Episcopal Church. And he's speaking with us about he has, he has taken some stances where he has spoken some, some truths that have come from his heart, that have been informed by scripture, that have been informed by his faith um, and in being a servant to God. And in doing so, it has led to uh, pushback and, and major pushback, one of them being the tweet that he sent out regarding uh, the president's um, move of standing in front of the, uh, the Episcopal Church in D.C. during the protests with the Bible. Um, so, Bishop, here we go. Let's talk about the cost. Okay, so we, the cost of what it means to take, to, to, when we really feel moved to take some hard truths. Often as leaders, and the three of us here are servant leaders of our respective congregations. Your congregation is quite larger than ours since you look over many congregations. But you have many different, uh, you have people across the whole spectrum uh, who have different political opinions, different uh, views of the economy, of race, of the history of this country. And uh, we like as leaders, it's, it is nice. I, maybe I'll just speak for myself. It's nice when people approve and like you. Uh, it makes your job a lot easier. Um, but we get to a place where we can't be so neutral sometimes. And we have to dip into some of these hot topics. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. I have a, a colleague who had always said, um, he's a retired rabbi now. And he always said, the worst thing that somebody can say about you is he was a nice guy <laughs> nice guy because we want we want we want to challenge people yeah, yeah and and staying on that platitude of trying to ensure that everyone is is heard and everyone is 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 comforted i i i i think there are times that we have to ruffle feathers a little bit that's that's a really that's a that's a great quote to live by because it's like I wonder how many people say that about me. Yeah, he's a nice guy. It, it, it almost sounds like a cop out. Like they really want to say something more, but it's like, yeah, he's he's blah. He's meh. Yeah. You know, he's 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 vanilla. Um, <laughs> so so Bishop, I'm asking you, and I think there's a lot of other folks out there saying. So when you do feel, and you whether it is more, you feel like I just got to make a statement right here in the moment, or you've really thought about it and you take a stance. Um, let's first talk just about the, the, the preparation, because there's going to be a cost. People are going to respond. Do you yourself as a leader do something to thicken your skin or to ground yourself in the truth to know that you don't just dip into just it sometimes can be exhausting and, and hurtful to kind of take the shots? Um, do you do any kind of prep before <laughs> or anything as a leader that allows you to know 
uh, I'm going to be taking some hits here and it's okay. I know God loves me. My wife loves me. I believe in what I say and I'm just open to dialogue. What do you do to just keep yourself healthy and strong when you take a stance on something that you know is going to get some uh, uh, negative feedback? Well, I think there's several ways that I could respond to the question. You, you took the sort of avenue of relationship preparation. And I think that is critically important because the more isolated you feel, or the, let me put it this way, the more isolated I feel, the less secure I feel uh, about what it is that I might want to say. Um, and so, I mean, I have, for example, the most tremendous admiration for people who wrote out of places of profound isolation, and yet we still read what they had to say, whether it's Anthony of the Desert or Viktor Frankl. I mean, there are things that were said in isolation, and what the isolation invites is a level of transparency that might not happen in relationships. But the opposite is true. Isolation can invite insecurity and craziness. And, uh, and in fact, one of the things that's happening, uh, just thinking about some of the people that I work with, is that the isolation of COVID-19 mm. has both in some cases brought about some real depth in people, and it's also invited some real craziness. I mean, there's shaking marriages out there. Uh, there are people acting out in ways that we would never have expected. But that's what that's the fruit of their isolation. A lot of their inner demons came roaring to the surface and they didn't have the network to help figure out what to do. And so they just act out. So for me, it's therefore been a balance of having relationships, but also having times for genuine, quiet reflection. Um, I need silence in my life as much as I need conversation. And I need both. Uh, I'm an extrovert by personality. I, I, it's lively for me to dialogue with people. But if I'm not quiet and still, then all I'm doing is just thinking about the next thing that prompt comes right out of my mouth. So there's that kind of preparation. But then there's also, for me, equally important, a kind of historic uh, preparation. I referenced this before in terms of reading people who wrote generations ago and, and trying to learn from them and think about how they saw things versus how I see things as a 21st century white East Coast American, all of which are lenses that color mm. how it is that I view life. Um, and so, and that we have all these glaring examples, whether you're talking about the way Christians treated Jews, whether you're talking about uh, oppression of people of color and using the Bible to back that up. You know, famous stories about, you know, Stonewall Jackson singing the Psalms as he rode into battle for the Confederacy. I mean, uh, we're rife with those kinds of things. But yet, we need to be learning from them as well. And so all of that plays into that. And then the, I guess the last thing is I want to think about the impact, and I don't always do this, I want to think about the impact of what it is that I have to say among um, particularly people who are being mistreated by the crisis into which I am speaking. In other words, uh, in the midst of all of the things that are going on around the racial unrest that we're facing, Black Lives Matter, the efforts to try to really do something new 
in terms of how we deal with our own racial history in this country. And that's very personal for me. Uh, I've been think, wrestling with this one for a long time, just because of the history of my own family. Mm. That when people want to jump on me because um, I want to say something about that, what they want to do is they fall into this trap of feeling that somehow their life is threatened. You know, the phrase is mm. protect our way of life which particularly in the South has meant white opportunity at the expense of black disopportunity. Mm. Um, and, and so I, and what I try to say is, no, I, I'm not thinking about a law on those lines. I don't have a commitment to quote unquote, protect our way of life. Uh, I'm, I'm the beneficiary of black oppression and I need to own that and think about what kind of impact that has on my life right now, because my job, again, as a bishop, is that I'm serving people of all kinds of racial and ethnic backgrounds, all of whom have history. And I need to be listening particularly to the people of color and how they're responding to these crises because they hear these things in a way that is very different from the way that I hear them. And my responsibility is to lift up those voices. What would be your advice to someone like Rabbi Durbin or myself? And, and, and so you're the, let's say we live in this Judeo-Christian world where you'd be overseeing both of us, right? <laughs> and, and, and so we, we, we expressed to you that we're nervous. We're nervous about speaking up for some of the exact same things you just said in our parishes because we know that there, it, it will be a trigger. It will be a, a trigger topic. And just talking about this idea of that we as white people have been able to flourish off the backs of black oppression in our country. That statement alone, um, I know will, is going to, just getting past that statement, could, 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 would need hours upon hours upon hours of a symposium. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, and so, and, and the blowback might be hard, it might be rough, and the emails and the phone calls and uh, people being frustrated uh, and set and angry. So, so when we go to the pulpit and we make a statement and we know that it's going to cause some divisiveness in the congregation, um, what would be your advice to us as, as, as you know, youngish, youngish <laughs> leaders in, the, in, in our respective congregations? How to well, approach that? Because we, we're responsible for everyone in our parish. We don't want to feel anyone alienated or feel like they're being left out. But if we say something from the pulpit that goes against their own belief system or how they interpret, let's say, racism in America, which um, they will. That will happen. Right, right. If you have any courage at all. So count on that. I mean, I, I, I want to go back to what I said previously about being, you know, listening to the people who have been most deeply affected by the crises. Um, so, for example, the only protest that I've officially participated in and called our clergy in Central Florida to join me was in what was called a mourners, M-O-U-R-N-E-R-S walk. And it was led by key African-American pastors and religious leaders in Orlando. Oh, for Trayvon and, Martin. And, and so we walked together with them. Um, they were the ones who prayed out loud. They were the ones who gave the speeches. They were the ones who in essence led the way because I have to be willing to be a learner, which means I have to be willing to be a listener. 
all otherwise i'm just captive to the things i've been saying all along <laughs> that's pretty limited um and because the more i can learn from them those who've been most deeply affected by the crisis the more there is an integrity to what it is that i say as it lines up with jesus's emphasis on the least of these and because you see that's that's my job not only to be a listener to the leaders but also to be a follower of jesus and what did he do well one of the things that got him into trouble again and again and again was hanging out and even having a preferred uh, option for prostitutes gentiles people that i mean people that were that were seen by the establishment in his day as somebody other cursed by god not to be included and i think that's a pattern the church when they wrote the scriptures saw and saw that and held it up i mean it's considered by all of the gospel writers as one of the highlights of jesus's ministry and so my job in other words is to pay attention to the weak to pay attention to the most hurt to pay attention to the people who have been and to try to understand the reactions of the people who are most deeply wounded it doesn't mean i'm going to always agree with them but i need to listen to them and then think about what it is that i am learning in the light of that critique so and when you I mean, speak up for it though bishop and you get pushback how do you deal with that when you're being that truth teller because of all that you've listened and then you share that and you speak up for it and you get pushback so there will be a cost when you speak up because not everyone's going to agree with the takes you take how do you deal with that especially like in, in your situation where you're in a diocese it's very diverse in a political opinion sometimes maybe even more so on one side than the other that might disagree with you how do you handle that well it means and i actually was not prepared for this when i sent out the tweet that i did it means i have to make the space to talk to people post tweet i cannot tell you how many emails i answered and um and how it drove me actually to even do more thinking on the very subject that i raised because again the history lesson is there are plenty of people who use the bible for their own ends in a way that they were utterly utterly convinced that they were doing the will of god and and decent people in many many ways so what means what says i'm not going to end up in the same place in other words i have to have the level of self reflection and to listen to the critique in a way that allows me to let them in um and challenge what it is that i do say because i'm fallible i could be wrong mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. and and a part of you see the natural tendency if you get blowback is to double down on what it is that you're saying and that's not always the right way to go um they could be right or they could be right in a way that sharpens what it is that i'm saying and causes me to think about it in a different way in other words public speaking contrary to a lot of what we see in the political realm requires self reflection and humility and and that's what i would say even in the midst of the heat of the dialogue um because i don't want there to be me push and they push back and the me push even harder and then they push even harder you know what's the gandhi quote you know an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind mm -hmm. so that means i have to be willing to sit and to think 
and talk, have long conversations. And it's exhausting, by the way. It really is exhausting. But if I'm going to travel with the people that I care about, as opposed to just making statements that wind up seeming to them like pot shots, if I want to be a part of actually changing minds and the fabric of what we do together, I have to be willing to make the time to engage in those kinds of conversations with that capacity to know that I could be wrong, to listen carefully, and to just keep at it, and all the while say, and hopefully this is true, you know, my relationship with you and your relationship with me, I hope is more important than where you and I disagree about this particular point. Mm. And do you start off that, because I'm sure you had to do this through emails and through phone conversations. It sounds like you had to dedicate, like you said, three days to that process after this tweet. Um, do you frame those conversations first by saying, I just want you to know that my relationship with you is the most important thing here, not, not, not the difference? Yeah, absolutely. At least if, at least if they're people I know. And, uh, and also, because they want to pull, particularly those who might disagree, want to use as a tactic to try to pull me away. I talked about this earlier from the blasphemy issue to, well, maybe they didn't use tear gas after all. Um, I, it means I have to be willing, and it takes a kind of tenaciousness to do this, to stay in my lane. Um, I, I'm not an expert on police armaments. I don't know all the ins and outs of either political party but I do bear responsibility for my office to understand the nature of blasphemy. That's my lane. Mm -hmm. Or to understand when one human mistreats another human being based on race, that's my lane. And so stick to my lane, keep the central points, the central points. Don't get dragged off because people, people will want to kind of feed your ego as a way to set you up. So you wind up saying something that for which you don't have any background whatsoever. And bang, it's like, gotcha. And then they discount everything that you say. It's, it's very clever. But it, so it requires a certain level of quiet and the capacity to just keep at the things that you know you should be saying and leave the rest to somebody else. And during these conversations, if you find yourself, your temperature rising, you getting emotionally charged, uh, as well, what, what are some practices you do in the heat of the moment to make sure that you keep your cool so you can stay listening, you can stay curious about this other person, you can stay humble? Um, because that is a, that's a challenge that I've found that, especially when you have a personal connection to the topic, uh, and you know it's personal for you, that you are still at the end of the day a servant of God and a pastor to this person who you're speaking with. Right. And I know that you do the prep work of silence, um, but then also what do you do in the moment to allow yourself to just stay cool and, and listen? So you're not just trying to win an argument, that you're just trying to really engage with a, another child of God and hear them and see where the spirit leads you both. I think it requires a, a, a kind of frightening level of vulnerability even be able to say to the person, you know what I'm noticing? So it does require kind of, I, as I'm listening to you, there's a part of me where my temperature is rising. I don't want that to infect our conversation. Because as soon as you make a statement like that, that almost lets the air out of the room inside of you around sort of naming the resentment for what it is. Mm. 
and out of that and say, so here's what I'd like us to do. And then suggest perhaps a different way to get at it. Um, because otherwise, and it happens. I mean, I can get angry and raise my voice just like anybody else. And, um, and, and, and if you, once you've crossed the line and what you're doing is in essence, treating the person as if the opinion that person is offering is the most important thing about that person, you've dehumanized them and you've lost. Even if you win the argument, you've lost. Mm. Mm. And, and so my job actually is not to win the argument. My job is to love the person and bring the best of what I have to bear about what does it mean to love God with your mind as well as your heart and soul. In other words, thinking well, thinking critically, asking all the right questions, but doing it because you care about the person, not just because you want to win the argument. And that's very, very hard. I, I need God to help me do things like that. Yeah. No, amen. Amen. And so that I'm sure this is a muscle that has been, you, you worked on throughout your, uh, um, your vocation that, uh, was there ever a time you felt like you were bad at that? Like right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, my wife is very helpful in that regard. She, she'll look at me and she'll give me this look and I can tell by the look she's going, you're yelling. Your your speech, you know. I, I mean, I could just see it in her eyes. It's like it's telepathic, intuitive communication between spouses. And I, I'm honestly, I'm really, really grateful for that. Or I'll circle back and say, you know, when we were talking about so and so, what was going on in your mind? What do you think? Um, so, because I think, and it's hard because you should feel passionate about things. That's not wrong. You should speak in a way that communicates how deeply you care or how revolting something actually is because it's an offense. Uh, in other words, that's where nice doesn't get you where you're supposed to go, but never at the cost of wounding somebody else, unless really, this is hard, unless you really love them enough to know that the wound is meant to heal, not to just, take cut them off at the knees bishop this has uh been uh, a powerful episode and, and thank you for for sharing so much um and there's so much more to share and to learn um but appreciate it and um we're we're grateful to have you on here and to not just help what what likes to for, for leadership within the synagogue or the church but uh, also for any leader out there um, and for any relationship that's out there in America right now, of how do we create more of a very healthy, loving, humble environment for us to listen to one another um, as we hold hard and fast to our to the truths that we that, that we are um, that, that that we love. So, um, so Bishop, I know you have a, a, a blog, right? If people are interested, I know we can obviously find you on Twitter, which I think is sure. Rev Gray Brewer. Yes, that's right. And you're also on Instagram, and that's Rev Gray Brewer as well. And uh, yeah. and so so this is uh so to, to be found. So so people can like just engage with you there. And you also and the blog itself is is at the, through the cfdiocese.org forward slash bishops blog. That's and, right. That's our diocesan website, and that 
CF Diocese, and that's where things like sermons, blog, commentary, all of those things can be found as well. I'm sure like, people will find plenty to disagree with because there's a lot of material up there. <laughs> um, well, thank you again, uh, uh, brother. It's, it's just it's been an honor to have you on here. And um, we'd love to have you back at some point. And God bless you and, and your journey of speaking the truth, but of loving, loving in the way that you speak the truth, where the relationship is the most important thing in the midst of that conversation. Well, thank you. It's been a joy, actually. I've had a lot of fun. And I appreciate the caliber of the question. Good, good conversation. Well, God bless you, Bishop. And both of you, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, so Rabbi, uh, so what do you think? You know, as, as, as a man who's going to go back to his uh, congregation and, you know, you don't want to just be the nice guy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think, I think what, what, uh, what Bishop Brewer kind of gave was um, uh, really enlightening and really powerful. I mean, there are times where, uh, you know, we know in our professions and throughout the world that there are times where people are going to viscerally disagree with us. And I, I you know, I, I think the takeaway for me, um, is, 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 and, and I think we touched on this father Anderson a year and a half ago on one of our programs about, uh, blind faith and choice. And, and I loved what, what, what Bishop Brewer said, which was, I deeply root myself in my tradition and within my scripture. And I think that it's about the informed choice or the informed, um, uh, faith that we have to be able to present to others uh, and to listen to others, but but you know to to do one's homework, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, continue this. We want to be a place where we we foster these healthy conversations. We don't have to shy away from the truth and our own personal truths, whether it be a dialogue. I know over at St. Mary's we have a uh, a Wednesday listening series now. So if you all want to tune in, where we just for an hour or half hour to hour on our Facebook page and YouTube page, we interview various leaders within the Martin County, uh, various black leaders, black leaders. We have uh, we have the Sheriff Snyder coming on uh, this Wednesday at 12 o'clock. We want to hear and just listen and be informed so we can really bring fullness to this conversation. So we are grateful for everyone for tuning in here. Uh, if you missed part of the episode, you can always check us out on the podcast. It's called A Priest and a Rabbi. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, find us on Stitcher, find us on Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcast. Share it with others. Until that time, God bless you. Love on one another. Know that the relationship is more important than the difference of opinion. So nurture that relationship. And in doing so, you can have a healthy, healthy conversation. Uh, God bless you all. We'll see you here next Friday on A Priest and a Rabbi.